Welcome to session seven, the 10 laws of boundaries. This is Susan Swart. I'm glad you joined me. This series is based on the book Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. In this session, we're going to be talking about the 10 laws of boundaries. Just like in the natural world where there are natural laws, gravity being one of them, if you drop something, it's going to fall. And so we see that play out every single time we do it. And so we're going to look at these laws that are in the world of boundaries. Law number one is the law of sowing and reaping. In Galatians 6, 7 through 8, it says, What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he will have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So on page 86 of Boundaries, it says, When God tells us that we will reap what we sow, he's not punishing us. He's telling us just how things really are. So what happens if we overspend? We're going to not have enough money. And we may get calls from creditors. And if we speed, if we get caught, we probably will get a speeding ticket. And we have cause effect in the natural world. If you boil water, it's going to turn to steam. If you freeze water, it's going to turn to ice. What happens in the law, this normal law of sowing and reaping, when we interrupt that? If we have friends and family that we We love these people, we have children, we have spouses, we have siblings, whoever they are. And we interrupt that law of sowing and reaping in their lives. What can happen? I call it, a lot of times we are trying to play junior Holy Spirit because we don't want them to hurt and we don't want to see them go through this pain. Well, in reality, what you really have to look at on this, whose pain am I really trying to get rid of? Is the other person maybe going to be walking into some pain? Yes. But in reality, I'm trying to make my pain go away. It's too hard for me. It's too anxiety, too too fearful for me to watch that person go through that. But it's something that they need to learn, that they need to go through on their own. And they need to suffer the consequences of it because we usually do not change until we experience the pain associated with it. And God knows that. And God is healthy enough to let us live with the consequences of our behavior. But we have a real problem with that. We, we as, as parents, as siblings, as friends, we don't want to see other people go through that pain. So we can hinder, we can stunt growth whenever we step in and cut that short. Just like if you see a you know a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and you happen maybe to see that butterfly trying to get out of that cocoon, people who have helped the butterfly come out who didn't know that they shouldn't do that actually keep that butterfly from being able to fly. So it's the same is true in the lives of our loved ones. Sometimes, yeah, there may be something that we need to step in, but we need to be careful about stepping in because we may be stepping in where God does not want us to step in. So we really have to really pray about it, and we may be keeping that person from growing and learning on their own, learning those lessons that can only be learned when you've gone through that. So that's the law of sowing and reaping. Number two is the law of responsibility. 
We have to go back to what we learned earlier. We are to love one another. We are to be responsible to one another or toward one another, but we are not to be responsible for one another. We can't be that other person. And so we have to be careful. Um, we have to let people be responsible for themselves. And if we, if they are not responsible for themselves, then we have to go back to law number one, which is the law of sowing and reaping. Number three is the law of power. As a person starts learning about boundaries, they might start to feel powerless. It's like, good grief, you know, what am I... I thought I had control of so many things, but as they're starting to set healthy boundaries, they might start to feel powerless. And that can be really scary when the Holy Spirit starts to bring stuff to the surface in our lives and bringing it to our attention and letting us know that we need to make some changes because change can be really scary. None of us really like change. We feel like we are losing control, uh, control that we are used to having. So though, though you do not have the power in and of yourself to overcome unhealthy patterns in your life, it takes the Holy Spirit's help, you do have the power to do some things that will bring fruits of victory. Number one, so this is some subcategories under the law, number three, the, the law of power. Here are some subcategories under that. Number one, you have the power to agree with the truth about your problems. This is called confession. Confess simply means to agree with. Number two, you have the power to submit your inability to God. This is one of those interesting contradictions or dichotomies of God's economy, the way his kingdom works. In James 4.10, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's a dichotomy. You mean I'm supposed to humble myself and he will lift me up. In my weakness, he is made strong. Those are the kinds of things. There are dichotomies in God's economy where it sounds like what he wants us to do should not create what he creates through it. Number three, again, this is under the law of power. You have the power to search and ask God and others to reveal more and more about what is within your boundaries. That's one of the reasons you might be listening to this. It's like, I'm just trying to learn and I'm trying to figure this whole boundaries thing out. So we have the power to search and ask God and ask other people what's, what is and is not within my boundaries. Number four is you have the power to turn from the evil that you find within you. This is called repentance. No, we're not talking about being perfect. We're talking about repentance. Number five, you have the power to humble yourself and ask God and others to help you with your developmental injuries and leftover childhood needs, just like we talked about in the last session about those injuries. Our own pride sometimes can keep us from asking for or receiving the help that we need or receiving what we need. Number six, you have the power to seek out those that you have injured and make amends. So as we take responsibility for ourselves and our sin, God may bring someone to our mind that we need to apologize to. Apologizing can be scary, but can be very rewarding. Does God always ask us to go to someone and, and give an apology? Not always. It depends on the situation. Sometimes it's a situation we maybe should not be looking for that person. If it's a toxic situation or has been a violent situation, we can forgive someone without having to um, go back to them. 
it's really up to the Holy Spirit. You really have to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you wanting me to do in this case? And and also the person might be gone. They may be dead. They may have passed on and we may have some some unhealed things that we need to deal with relating to that person. And so sometimes God does want, want us to make apologies and sometimes he might not. It really depends on the situations. But if he does, if we are needing to go to someone and apologize, obedience is the key. We need to be obedient to what God is asking us to do. Number the law number four, this is going back to the laws. Number four is the law of respect. On page 88 of boundaries, it says one word comes up again and again when people describe their problems with boundaries. They, the word they, T-H-E-Y. But they won't accept me if I say no. But they will get angry if I set limits. But they won't speak to me for a week if I tell them how I really feel. We fear that others will not respect our boundaries. We focus on others and lose clarity about ourselves. Sometimes the problem is that we judge other people's boundaries. We say or think such things as, how could he refuse to come by and pick me up? It's right on his way. He could find alone time some other time. Or, that's so selfish of her not to come to the luncheon after all the rest of us are sacrificing. Or, what do you mean no? I just need the money for a little while. Or, it seems that after all I do for you, you could at least do this one little favor for me. Those are examples of judging boundary decisions of other people. Thinking that we know best how they ought to give. And usually that means they ought to give to me the way I want them to. (laughs) We think that they should do it the way we want them to. And so we can maybe are not respecting boundaries or other people are not respecting our boundaries. So we need to respect the boundaries of others so that we can respect, command respect of our own. And if we love and respect people who tell us no, then they will love and respect our no. Freedom begets freedom. It's really interesting how that works. Law number five is the law of motivation. We make choices in our relationships all the time. So what motivates our choices? This is simply what motivates anything that we do. There's Here are eight things. So these are all under the law of motivation. So unhealthy motivations. These are unhealthy motivations. Number one is the fear of the loss of love or abandonment. So that we may be motivated because we fear uh, losing the love or abandonment. People who say yes and then resent saying yes because uh, they, they would really rather say no, but they're afraid. They're afraid of losing someone's love. They're afraid of that relationship, something happening to that relationship. These people give to get love, and when they don't get it, they feel abandoned. Number two of the unhealthy motivations, fear of, it, of someone else's anger. Because of old hurts and poor boundaries, some people cannot stand for anybody to be mad at them. Number three is our fear of loneliness. Some people give in to others because they feel that it will win love and end their loneliness. I have heard of stories of women, um, and I've watched it happen. And men, too, they get out of a relationship, they get out of an unhealthy relationship and go back into another unhealthy relationship. 
simply because they want to have a relationship. They, they don't really work on their own healing. They because And it becomes chapter two of the same book or chapter two of the same story or chapter three of the same story. It's the same scenario. They're, actually, they're just dating the same person or, or get, you know connecting with this same type of person over and over again. They just look different. They have a different name, but they're, they keep... Uh, heading toward the same personality over and over again because of unhealed things, because they simply fear about a fear of being alone. Number four is the fear of losing the good me inside to say, I love you. And I do not want to do that. Those seem like contradictory statements to so many people. They think that to love means to always say yes, but that is not true. So some people really have a hard time grasping the concept that I can say, I love you, but no, I don't want to do that. But I still love you, but no, I don't want to do that. That you can hold on to those two statements at the same time, that those two statements can be said together. Number five is guilt. This is a motivation uh, on our decisions. Many people's giving is motivated by guilt. They are trying to do enough good things to overcome the guilt inside and feel good about themselves. When they say no, they feel bad, so they keep trying to earn a sense of goodness. So it, it has to do with identity. It goes back to identities. Every All of this goes back to identity. And if I don't want those guilt feelings, if, if I feel like my identity is attached to the relationship with that other person, then then guilt will motivate me. Number six is payback. This is an mo- unhealthy motivation, payback. Some people feel a burden to pay for all they've been given. I see this over and over uh, with Christians. I Surely God's love can't be free. Surely his salvation can't be free. I have to do something to earn it. Or uh, I've seen, uh, heard a story about a family that was truly in need. They needed food but they would not receive it because their family didn't take handouts. And so they can really have, because they feel like they have to be able to pay that back. Number seven is approval. Many people feel as if they uh, are still children inside, that they inside internally, they still feel like a child who's seeking the parental approval. Therefore, when someone wants something from them, they need to give so that this symbolic parent will be well pleased. So even if we've had an injury as a child, we can be living that out as an adult, um, playing the same. We may not realize it, but we're just trying to get that parent that we that never gave us approval as a child to give us. It's a different person, but we're we're in our heads and in our emotions. It's still we're trying to gain the parental approval. And then number eight is over identification with others' loss. Many times people have not dealt with their own disappointments and losses. So whenever they say no to someone, they feel the other person's sadness. They can't stand to hurt someone that badly so they comply. It's called projection. It's, it's when I feel something and, I, and I'm projecting that onto you because if I feel this way, surely you feel that way too. And so sometimes we project onto other people. And so we're over-identifying with their loss. And Jesus calls us to be free. Number six, law number six. This is going back to the laws, the law of evaluation. So this one is a really interesting one. So listen up. This is on page 94 of Boundaries. 
But if I told him I wanted to do that, wouldn't he be hurt? So we have a situation here where uh, there's someone talking to either Dr. Cloud or Dr. Townsend, and they're, ha they're struggling with something they know they need to do, but they don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. When Jason told me he wished to assume responsibility for tasks his business partner was performing poorly, I encouraged him to talk to his partner. Sure, he might be hurt, I said in response to his question. So, what's your problem? Well, I wouldn't want to hurt him, Jason said, looking at me as though I should have known that. I'm sure you don't want to hurt him, but what does that have to do with the decision you have to make? Well, I couldn't just make a decision without taking his feelings into account. That would be cruel. I agree with you. That would be cruel. But when are you going to tell him? But you just said that to tell him would hurt him and that would be cruel, Jason said, perplexed. No, I didn't, I replied. I said that to tell him without considering his feelings would be cruel. That is very different from not doing what you need to do. I don't see the difference. It would still hurt him. True, but it would not harm him. That's the big difference. If anything, the hurt would help him. Now, I am really confused. How can it pos possibly help to hurt him? Well, let's look at it this way, I said. Have you gone to the dentist? Yes. Did the dentist hurt you when he drilled your tooth to remove the cavity? Yes. Did he harm you when he was drilling your tooth? No, he made me feel better. Hurt and harm are different, I pointed out. When you ate the sugar that gave you the cavity, did that hurt? No, it tasted good, he said, with a smile that told me he was starting to catch on. Did it harm you? Yes, that's my point. Things can hurt and not harm us. In fact, they can even be good for us, and things that feel good for us can be very harmful to us. Sometimes we need to set boundaries that might hurt someone, but it won't harm them. And there is a difference. Here is an example for all of you who are listening who are parents of adult children. A child, your child decides not to come home for Christmas. This can be a real scenario. While that might hurt you as a parent, it won't harm you. That child really has, we need to give them the ability to, to have their own boundaries and to, to have their own, make their own decisions like that. So that's the law of evaluation. Number seven is the law of proactivity. When we, when someone is hurt, when we are hurt or someone else is hurt emotionally or physically, there's usually going to be some sort of response that would be crying or, you know, if, say they've broken their leg or broken a bone, they may uh, be screaming. Um, if it's emotions, they might get mad, they might yell, they might throw a fit. All of those things, all of those reactions are reactive. They are reacting to something that's happened. And so reacting to something is fine. But some people can just keep going and keep going and keep going, basically gnawing on the bone. They're just gnawing on the bone. They keep reacting to it. That can become a victim mentality, that they, and they may get stuck in a victim mentality. So reactive victims are known for their against stances, what they hate, what they don't like, what they stand against, what they will not do. 
the they approach things really kind of from a negative standpoint where proactive people show you what they love what they want what they what they purpose what they stand for and they approach things from a positive standpoint so proactive people do not demand rights they simply live them okay number seven number eight excuse me number law number eight is the law of envy so this is from boundaries pages 98 and 99 envy is probably the basest emotion we have it's a direct result of the fall. It was Satan's sin. The Bible says that he had a wish, Satan had a wish to be like the Most High. He envied God. He in turn, And in turn, he tempted Adam and Eve with the same idea, telling them that they could be like God. Satan and our parents, Adam and Eve, were not satisfied with who they were and could rightfully become. They wanted what they did not have, and it destroyed them. Envy defines good as what I do not possess and hates the good that it has. What is so destructive about this particular sin is that it guarantees that we will not get what we want and keeps us perpetually insatiable and dissatisfied. This is not to say that it is wrong to want things we do not have. God has said that he will give us the desires of our heart. The problem with envy is that it focuses outside our boundaries onto others. If we are focusing on what others have or have accomplished, we are neglecting our responsibilities and will ultimately have an empty heart. Envy is a self-perpetuating cycle. So see if any of these scenarios sound familiar, because I've seen some of these play out. A lonely person stays isolated and envious of the close relationship other people have. A lonely person is is envious of someone else, yet they stay lonely because they stay in, stay closed up. A single woman withdraws from social life, envying the marriages and families of her friends. Sometimes we can have be it can be self perpetuating. We can uh, envy something and we want something, but yet we keep ourselves from getting it. A person chooses the righteous life, but envies and resents those who seem to be having all the fun. These people are negating their own actions and comparing themselves to others. And in the process of comparing themselves to others, they're staying stuck and resentful. So what do people do? When you find yourself in that situation, what are you supposed to do? We need to start evaluating ourselves, doing some self-evaluation as to why we have withdrawn from people or why do we have these beliefs and sometimes we might need to talk to a counselor or some uh, pastor or someone like that to start getting to the root of some of those things. Law number nine is the law of activity. This is the opposite of passivity. So remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, starting in verse, in verse 14. The master gave three servants um, talents first one got five talents and the second one got two talents and the third one got one. So what happened? The one with the five talents doubled his and the one with the, the two talents doubled his and the one with the one talent buried his and he was afraid. And so he, the master came back and took his talent away. The master was not angry because he he failed the master was angry because he didn't try 
he didn't do anything with it. He didn't even try to do anything with it. And that's really what the master was angry about. So we need to have, there's a law of activity. We need to uh, take part. We need to be responsible uh, and we need to be active in our own lives. Number 10, law number 10 is the law of exposure. When we are looking at boundaries, if we don't know where the boundaries are, if we don't, if we can't see the fence, um, and I'm talking real life, you know, property, like you might be grass and fences and those kinds of things. If you know where the fence is, you know where the boundary is. If you don't see a fence, uh, and you don't see some sort of marker like a, the difference in the height of the grass, you know where you know someone has mowed this and not mowed that or <clears throat> done something to where you can tell where the property boundaries are. You just won't know. Well, what happens in our lives when we're talking about the law of exposure, if people don't know where our boundaries are, our emotional boundaries are, our um, mental boundaries are, when they don't know that, they don't know where, they won't know how to, how to approach them. And so we, basically, we need to tell people what our boundaries are. I've seen this happen before. We, basically, we need to make our boundaries visible by speaking them, by telling people. And one of the things that I have seen happen, and you may have heard of this too, you may have seen it happen. Some people will have invisible boundaries. They will never tell somebody what they are. They won't speak them. And then they suddenly file for divorce and the other spouse is completely taken, uh, I mean, completely shocked, can't, has no idea why, why the other one, why, there's, why their spouse has filed for a divorce. And those are because they've had invisible boundaries. They've gotten mad, they've gotten to the point, but they never expressed their boundaries. The other person or the other person maybe didn't hear them. And so somehow there was a boundary breakdown where somebody either didn't express them or someone simply wasn't hearing them. But we have, there has to be exposure. So relationships really suffer because of unexpressed boundaries. We, people, one of the things my husband says a lot is, he, and he's an LPC, and he says, I have to tell people, I can't read your mind. Other people can't read your mind. We sometimes have an expectation, well, they should just know. They should just know. Well, they don't know, or they would be able to do something about it. So we can't assume people can read our minds. We have to be able to express the boundaries need to be out there where people know where they are. In Ephesians 4.25, it says, we are part of the same body. Stop lying and start telling each other the truth. So we need to be truthful about things. And in Psalm 51.6, but you want complete honesty, so teach me true wisdom. So God wants real relationship. He wants real relationship with us, and he wants us to have real relationship with each other. So that's the reason these 10 laws of boundaries are there. Thank you for joining me for session seven. In session eight, we will be talking about common boundary myths. Hope to see you there.